Acts 15. And we're just going to read all of Acts 15 when we get there. But uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a history. Beginning two years ago this month, as most of you surely know, uh, our church almost fell apart. In many ways, it did. Friendships ended, discipleship ended, betrayal was assumed, sins were ignored, blame was shifted almost unto our death. And a woman who came, uh, she was just visiting from out of town, she came and she uh, sat through the whole service and afterwards she said, it seems like something's wrong here. And there was. The glory of God was being darkened in the very place it was supposed to shine forth, in the very place it was supposed to be magnified. So over the course of the next few months, I had a few pastors come to me and tell me, yeah, that happens about once every decade. Something catastrophic happens in a church about once every decade. And if you think about your own experience, there's not a single one of us in the room who's not either been personally a part of a church hurt or something along those lines or know somebody who has gone through it. It's a reality. So here's the truth that we need to wrestle with. Conflict will always be present, especially in the church. And the church might very well fall apart because of it. Is there anything that we can do? The answer is absolutely yes. Let's read Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And this, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, 
and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has, in, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading the men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of your for this for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take, them, uh, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And when he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Because we know that we are utterly unworthy to hold it in our hands. We do not deserve a single letter from you. And yet, we have this book that makes us wise unto salvation, that shows us Jesus. And so, Father, would you make us wise for salvation again? Would you show us Jesus again? So that by him, by the image of the glory of Jesus, we might be strengthened, we might be built up, and God, whatever you are calling us to do here in your word, we pray that you would also empower in us, that you would keep us in this. Father, it is only a work that you can do to open your word to us, and so we pray that you would do it. Not only for us, but for the people 
in the room next to us, for the children. God, that you would uh, empower the leaders, empower those holding your word, holding sheets of paper with your word printed on it. God, would you open the hearts and the minds of the children in that room so that they might hear about you, so that they might grow in their faith of you. And Father, if there is anything that I say, if there is anything that I think that is against you, if there's anything that any of us in this room have that would cause us to think wrongly of who you are and your gospel, God, I pray that you would help us to remove it and that you would remove it from our brains. In all of this, Father, we, uh, we ask for your help and your guidance. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Conflict will always be present, especially in the church. We've seen it uh, starting in Acts 2 uh, all the way through. And the church might very well fall apart because of it, but is there anything that we can do? The answer is absolutely yes. What? What do we do? We see three tasks in our passage for all of us as a body of believers to do for the sake of this body of believers. Three, three tasks. Address gospel conflict. Give no offense and take no offense. And then the third one is hear and believe. The first is address gospel conflict. The second is give no offense, take no offense. And the third is hear and believe the gospel. So let's look at the first one. Address gospel conflict. In order to get a better picture of where we are so far, I'd like to show you two maps. They're the same map. Um, So this is the first one. This is just kind of a, uh, the early church, this is the whole book of Acts. Um, But you can see my little circles there. Uh, Very artsy. Um, Can you zoom in? Like, just go to the next one and it zooms. Oh, man, it's such a good technology. Um, but you can see the red circle is where it all started. Uh, this is where uh, the, uh, the disciples were in the upper room. Uh, the Holy Spirit came. That's where it started in Jerusalem. So far, uh, what Jesus has proclaimed, uh, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's happening. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's happening. Uh, what Christ has called, the Holy Spirit has empowered, and it's happening. So we start with the red circle, uh, where the gospel was preached to people from all across the globe. Uh, Then it moved on as people were persecuted and had to leave, which leads us to Saul, whose name is now Paul, on the the very next blue circle. Uh, I don't know, can anybody read the letters up there? One of them says Damascus, which is where Paul was converted. That's all you need to know. Uh, And eventually, him and Barnabas, they go on their first missionary journey being sent out from Antioch, which is the second blue dot, your third circle. Um, And they sail to Lystra and Iconium, which would be your next dot up there. So just a picture, very arty, very arty, artsy, um, of of where we have been so far in Acts. Um, Up here in Iconium and Lystra, 
Saul, Paul says, hey, don't worship these vain idols. They don't like that very much. Uh, but he says, don't, don't worship these vain idols. Worship the God who created these things that you are worshiping. Uh, they stone him, so he has to leave, rightfully so. Uh, and so they sail back to Antioch, and that's where uh, we hear rumblings of what's going on in the church. They've planted in Antioch. There's a church in Antioch, and so they're coming back, and that's when they hear these conversations happening. Uh, if you look at verse 24 of chapter 14, it says, Then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, went down to Adalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. So this is where we are, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And then this is where we get into chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, the very brothers in this church, Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a false gospel. The true good news is, unless you believe, you cannot be saved. So they're adding something to the gospel. But we have to know it's not because they're vicious men seeking to lead people astray. Although some of them might be. This is just the way that it's always been for them. For thousands of years, the kingdom of God has worked this way. And so uh, they're mostly genuinely trying to help. Like, no, I'm, I'm a well-meaning guy. Uh, here's the way it's always been. You do have to be circumcised. They don't necessarily understand the new covenant of grace. So they're well-meaning men and women, but that's exactly where things can go wrong. But notice, do Paul and Barnabas run away? Do they get a whiff of people being upset and like, all right, we're out. No. They address it. Why? Because of what we know here and now, sin can decimate the church. The church is meant to be a picture of the gospel, of God's redeemed people coming together under the name of Christ in what he has called us to, to serve one another and love one another, not be served by and not be loved by others, and despite all it can separate us, we look to each other and say, your God is my God. We have the same forgiveness in Christ. We look different. We are different. But we have this in common. And certain sins get in the way of this gospel image. So, what do we do as believers in the church among other believers? What, what are we supposed to address because we know the conflict will always be present. What are we supposed to address? And if you notice, they address the conflict, uh, but they don't make the Gentiles conform to the Jewish practice of circumcision. They ask them to change other things for the sake of unity, but they only address some things. So what do we address when it comes up, when conflict comes up? Our key is found in the description of these things. Uh, they're a yoke of slavery. Peter says, why are you putting this on them? Why are you putting God to the test by putting this yoke around them that they can't bear, our fathers couldn't bear it, we can't bear it? It's adding things to the gospel. So here is our rule of thumb. We address gospel conflict. 
things that can hinder the gospel. As a church, our doctrinal statement of beliefs uh, and what members, you guys and me, are to uphold, they were very carefully chosen as our close-handed issues, things that we will not budge on. No matter if they become illegal, no matter if they become highly offensive, we're not going to budge on them, including our stance on marriage. Transgenderism, homosexuality, intersectionality, abortion, women preachers, the prosperity gospel, the, the me gospel, we address them not because it's easy, not because it's popular, but because these are things that can hinder the good news of the gospel being seen, heard, and believed. How do we know if an issue is a gospel issue? If it goes against what God's word says. The word of God was given to make us wise for salvation. So anything that is unbiblical is then anti-gospel. And we address those things. We address these issues of sin. We address gospel conflict. When the gospel is going to be harmed, we are in sin if we do not address it. And depending on the situation, it could be a strong addressing or a gentle addressing. We tend to think in terms of uh, passivity or aggressiveness, but uh, we see in Jesus both a, he gives up his life when he could have stopped it at any moment. He gives up his life. It seems very passive. And then at other times we see in Revelation where Jesus will come back with a vengeance on the earth filling the streets with blood. Depending on the situation, we use the Holy Spirit guidance that we have as blood-bought believers to know when and how much we should use uh, in addressing gospel issues. Jesus addressed conflict sometimes in strong ways. After he had uh, changed water into wine at the wedding at Cana, uh, he comes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and he comes into the temple where people are selling cattle and sheep, and for some reason doves. And he knows that this is the wrong use of God's house. And so he tells them, don't you know that God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. The gospel is hindered by your sin. And so he makes a whip out of rope, and he goes in and whips them out of the temple, flipping tables. Pretty strong. I love that that's our God. But it's not always so strong. Sometimes it's a gentle addressing. Jesus is out at the well at noon to be alone because no one goes and gets water at the hottest part of the day unless you're ashamed. And a woman comes up with her bucket and Jesus talks to her, which is frowned upon in two different ways. Uh, one, she's a Samaritan. Two, she's a she. And so he asks her, do you have a husband? And she says, I, a husband I do not have. And Jesus, knowing her as her God, says to her, like he knows that she has multiple husbands. And so he says, you're right, a husband you do not have. And she says, yeah, well, when the Messiah comes, like I know he's coming, he's going to tell me all this. And Jesus says, it's me. Believe in me. I have come to save you. I am your Messiah. In both instances, Jesus addresses conflict and sin for the sake of their faith. Conflict will always be present, so we address it for the sake of the gospel with love and appropriate force that we see from the Holy Spirit. We address gospel conflict. Number two, 
we give no offense and we take no offense. After Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, they give evidence uh, to the fact that God, that the gospel does not in fact hold circumcision, James steps up and he says, guys, listen, uh, Peter spoke how God first visited the Gentiles and the prophets agree. Therefore, I think we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from some things. So they wrote them a letter addressing the conflict and they say to them, listen, we did not instruct these men to tell you that you are not saved. You are saved if you believe in faith, by, by grace through faith alone, that is how you are saved. But we have to understand where they're coming from, guys. This is the way that they have been for years. This is what their whole life has been. Some of these things that you guys are practicing, they're not sinful in and of, them, in and of themselves, but they're offensive to our brothers. So would you keep from doing these for the sake of unity? And how do they respond? Look at verse 31. And when they read it, this letter, they rejoice because of its encouragement. Why? Because of the joy of the sureness of God's forgiveness. No, you are saved, guys. But also, now they have a way to fix the issue. There's this conflict. There's this thing happening. They have a way that they can address all of this now. They will seek to give no offense to their brothers so that they can gain their brothers back. And then think about the other side, the Jews. They now know, okay, if I see my Gentile brother doing this thing that us Jews seem unlawful, it doesn't mean that they're not saved, and he's not doing it to offend me. We give no offense and we take no offense. 1 Corinthians 10, 32 through 33 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Sinful conflict in the church happens when we seek our own glory rather than God's. But the opposite of this is true as well. Beautiful unity in the church happens when we seek God's glory rather than trying to make anyone fit into our standard of Christianity. So every offense that we might give by doing whatever it is we do, we can be dead to it for the sake of the glory of God. They don't take away everything offensive to the Jews because they didn't make these men be circumcised. But they did take away some of the offenses. Things that are not yokes back to slavery, but freedoms. We must address gospel conflict Uh, things that hinder the gospel, but we must also ask the question, are there things happening that might not be a hindrance to the gospel and it's just a pet peeve of mine? What freedoms do I have a hard time letting go of for unity? Because in Christ, I'm free to lose everything. The issue comes into play when we as individual people have a longer list than what the Bible provides. You must believe that God is triune. You must believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And you must believe that celebrating Halloween is sinful. Here's the one question we ask as believers. What is my motivation for addressing this issue here? Is it selfish or is it sinful? 
or is it concern or is it care? Is it selfish and sinful or is it care and concern? If it's care, it won't feel like a rebuke. If it's selfish, it will feel like an attack. Christians differ a lot on thousands of different issues that are not the gospel that might very well become an offense to the gospel if we're not careful. Harry Potter, homeschooling, stay-at-home moms, vaccines, voting for Trump, and Halloween. If these things are a sin to your conscience, do not do them. But we also cannot enforce our laws unto other Christians if they do not see them as sin, if they are not harming the gospel. That's the point of the text. If my brother watches Harry Potter or votes for anyone at all, they're not sinning against me. But also, if I know that my brother thinks Halloween is wrong, I'm not going to invite him over to go trick-or-treating with me. Galatians 4 says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Our love for our brother or sister trumps our desires every time. And so we seek to give no offense and we seek to take no offense. We cover others' offenses with love. Because the second that the human being that we are interacting with becomes just their sin to us, the gospel image is marred. Think about it in terms of alcohol. Biblically, we are never commanded not to drink alcohol, just not to be drunk. Some people cannot toe that line well. Some people very much struggle and should never drink. And others, it can be a joyous activity that they do to the glory of God. And we hear teachings all across the spectrum. But if my brother struggles and I take him to a bar and drink in his presence, that's an offense to him and the gospel. But on the other side, if I struggle and someone invites me, I can cover the offense. I can give the benefit of the doubt because I doubt that he was thinking about me in my past. He just wanted to hang out. Our main rule of thumb is this. The gospel and doctrines that enforce the truth of the gospel are upheld while everything else is held very loosely. We address gospel conflict. We give no offense. We take no offense. And maybe it's just something as small as within your family. Within your family, you can have certain issues that you are stronger on than other families. As the leader of your family, feel free to do that. You have the freedom. But when the freedom becomes a yoke of slavery to another, that's where the gospel is marred. So we address gospel conflict. We give no offense. We take no offense. And that all sounds great. But how do we do it when the moment actually comes? When it's Tuesday and my deeply held traditions are being forsaken by people who have never even heard of my traditions, but it still makes me upset because this is going to happen. We have to just have it out there. It's going to happen. And what about when there is a true hindrance to the gospel and no one sees it but me? And that person is my friend. When the rubber meets the road here in two hours or two days or two weeks, when conflict arises in our hearts, 
how are we supposed to do what we are called to do here? Point three, hear and believe. Hear and believe. In the face of this conflict, Peter has a choice. He has to make a choice about how he's going to address this. They are coming in from miles and miles away to him so that they can talk about this. And in a moment, he has to choose. He has to make a decision about what's going on here. Where does he go? Where does he take this conflict? To the cross. Why? Why would he go to the cross knowing this whole conflict? Because both sides of the same issue are issues of the heart and there is only one place that the heart has changed. And so Peter says, listen guys, you know that the Gentiles have heard and believed the same gospel that we have. They do not have to be circumcised because that's an external practice. The issue is you do not have to do that in order to be saved because you can do that and not be saved. It goes deeper than that. It's the heart that needs to be cut out of us. But God knows the heart. And he has cleansed their hearts by faith. That is what unifies us. Over all that can divide us, we share the same Christ-given heart. We will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And it is in this spirit that they write the letter and everyone including the Jews, including the Gentiles, everyone who's present, and then all of the churches that they go along telling this news to, everyone rejoices. Because they see this is bringing us back together. God knows the heart and cleanses the heart that unifies the church under his name. How? How does God do this? By giving us a new heart and his undying love for us at the cross. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, and note the author, says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs ten twelve says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. To cover sin is to forgive it by love. James 5, 19 through 20 says, same James in this passage, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from their error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And Jesus told his disciples in John 13, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we love each other, when we are willing to forgive each other, when this love covers sin that it is willing to forgive, it only happens first if we have been loved, if we have been forgiven. And we have. Charles Spurgeon said the greatest act of love in history was at the cross when Jesus stayed. Jesus bore our sins at the cross, took the wrath of the Father on himself to cover and do away with completely the wrath that was on us because of our sins. 
And Jesus' prayer from, from the cross, Father, forgive them, says it all. We will only give no offense and cover others' offenses to the degree to which our offenses are covered and our love is unconditionally given to us in Christ alone. Our hope and reconciliation and love and addressing this conflict, it does not rest in how lovable people are, but in Christ who has shown us so much love that we don't need anything from anyone else and we can show love in return. God knows our hearts and yet cleanses our hearts. And this is the grace that saves and unifies us all. This grace is what brings unity above all else. And this grace is what will give believers confidence to address gospel conflict when it comes. This grace is what will give us all patience to bear every offense. And this grace is what will give us all love to give no offense. The very part of us that can divide a church lies within us. But it is the very part of us that Jesus goes after and changes by his grace. This is how it happens. We cannot escape conflict, and so when it comes, we address it in love. We bear no offense in love. We cover offenses in love all by and through the ultimate love that we have been shown in Christ at the cross. The other day, uh, a pastor asked me what we did to stay alive. Uh, knowing all the things that uh, we went through just two years ago. Uh, and I said, nothing. It was the grace of God alone. He asked me. I literally had nothing to say. I just, I have no clue. But this is the God we serve. We began a, a series in First Peter, our, our first Sunday in this building, entitled From Darkness to Light. We just picked it because it was the theme of First Peter as found in chapter 2. But little did we know it was God speaking to us each week, showing us exactly why he was worthy of our worship every day. And it's still the same story today. We are here by the grace of God alone. And I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. I've seen you pray for each other. I've seen you show up to each other's homes to lift each other up. I've seen you be kind and generous to each other. I've seen you drive 30 minutes out of your way to go get nachos for people who cannot uh, move around. I've seen you take people fishing. I've seen, I've seen you show up to kids' soccer games. I've seen you build closets and attic doors for each other. I've seen you be forgiving. I've seen you worship. I've seen you with tears in your eyes beholding the glory of the gospel. I've seen your faith grow before my eyes and over it all, I've seen your love. I'm so proud of you. It is one of the joys of my life to be your pastor. Conflict will always be present, especially in the church. We have to know that. And the church might fall apart because of it. But we are not without hope. 
by the gospel, we can love each other well. And by this gospel, I think it's exactly what you've been doing. And so in thankfulness and gratefulness to God, uh, we're going to celebrate this. Celebrate not only what Christ has done at the cross, but also the work that he has done that has everlasting impact. Because any time that you see any of the acts that we have in this church that are loving toward one another, that's because of the love that was shown at the cross. And so we take communion together, and as we do, we remember. We do this in remembrance of Jesus, of the grace that we have, the grace of Christ for us at the cross. If you're a believer, uh, you're welcome to the table. But if you're an unbeliever or if you're in unrepentant sin, please remain in your seat in this time. First Corinthians says you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. And I don't want that for you. But if this is you, if you're in unrepentant sin, you have a father waiting for you to turn. If you are truly a believer, there is nothing standing in your way any longer of turning back to your father. If you are an unbeliever, please know that there is no covering of your sins at this, at this moment. But there can be. Would you believe? It's not about doing a bunch of things. As you can see, it is about hearing and believing the good news of gospel on your sake, on your, for your sake, on your behalf. Would you believe? For all of us, here's our prayer. Father, I admit that I let many things keep me from addressing gospel conflict. And my heart is prone to wander from your love and quick to hold resentment and bitterness toward others. Will you change this in me by your grace for the sake of your glory and the sake of unity in your people? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Take your time to pray through what it is God has given you in his word. Uh, take your time to examine your heart. Ask God to help you in that task. And when you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room. Grab them and bring them back to your seat. We'll take them all together here in a minute. Ultimately, all of our acts of addressing gospel conflict or of giving no offense and taking no offense of any kind of reconciliation, they're all futile unless we were reconciled first to God. But we were. How do we know? Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for the good news of the gospel. That even though you knew our hearts, it pleased you to show mercy. And every single one of us in this room, we know how deeply dark our hearts are and can be. And we were enemies against you. And in many ways, we still like to act like we are. And yet, by this one act, by Jesus taking on the wrath that we deserved, by the cross, we are adopted in. We are sons and daughters, no longer enemies of you. Why? I have no clue. Outside of, you did this for your own glory, and that is where we rest. Since it is not our acts, since it is nothing from us but a gift from you, we are safe and secure. And the love that you have for us is unconditional and will never leave us. And so, Father, we thank you for it. And we pray that you would, by this love, change our hearts, grow our hearts in love toward you so that whatever comes, comes in right order, but first being the gospel. First being our relationship with you first being the, the life that was purchased for us by your blood. God, we remember this broken body and this shed blood for us. Would you help us? In response to this, Father, we lift up our praise to you. Would you help us to sing? Would you help us to know that no matter what it is we have in our lives right now, we have a joy set before us in what Jesus has done. God, help us to sing with joy, overflow our hearts so that we have nothing left to do but to sing out to you. We give you all of the praise. We give you all of the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.